Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking about your money and what to do with it. We're also going to go inside a day in the life of a terrific financial advisor. My guest today is Mark Leonard. He's the founder of Leonard Financial. In addition to being a financial advisor, he's also an entrepreneur. He's got some great entrepreneurial stories to share with us. So please join me in welcoming Mark Leonard to the Inside BS Show. Mark, good morning and welcome to the Inside BS Show. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Dave. All right. So tell us, Mark, why did you choose to help people plan their financial future? So I was uh, in my former occupation. I was a high school math teacher and coached soccer and football at the high school level in Fairfax County, Virginia. And I was about seven years in and one of the teachers at lunch, the math teachers at lunch, she said, I just have to work seven full more years to get my full pension. And in an instant, the last seven years that I had worked flew by in my mind. And I knew that I did not want to be trapped into a situation like I felt she was. I felt she was disgruntled, dissatisfied with her occupation, was dialing in a little bit, not interested. And so in an instant, I think I made that decision. I'm not sure about many of you listening, but I'm a little slow to change sometimes. It took me three years to make the transition, but it was really my father and my girlfriend at the time that encouraged me to help people with finances. I was... um, I came right out of college and purchased a home. I ran my own soccer camps in the summer, had a small painting contracting business. So I did a lot with people with money, and they encouraged me. And I ultimately decided to come up to New York City to, to, to start this venture as a financial advisor. So, And it's been fast, fantastic. I just passed 20 years in the occupation, so I'm excited about it. That's wonderful. What a great story. So tell us, Mark, um, is... Well, I ha- there's so many questions that come up first. Do you think you have an advantage being that this is your, I'm going to call it your second career because, you know, the, the side hustles and the other stuff, although it's it's great and it adds to your entrepreneurial experience, do you think this being kind of your second career, do you think that gives you an advantage over other financial advisors? I, I think that probably the experience of being a teacher and being a coach Absolutely, it absolutely prepared me to be uh, more successful in this business. One of the things that it did was it allowed me to work with a tremendous amount of different kinds of people. Um, and so, but education is one of my big drivers. I always say to people, I think you're going to make the best financial decisions for yourself and your family. I just want to educate you so you can make those decisions with your eyes wide open. But teaching and being able to teach to people and educate them so to help them make the financial decisions, it's incredibly valuable. And some of my clients say, oh, it's so fantastic that you helped me understand everything. I can make the decision today. Unfortunately, sometimes a month later, I forget why, but you're able to remind me and teach me again. The second thing I'd say, financial advisors, you may know these statistics better than me, but I think that only about 10 to 15% of it make it three years. And so... Being a coach and being a teacher, you're always second-guessed by everybody all the time. I think that was an incredibly difficult process for me to go through. I was the youngest of four children, and, and, and it's tough oftentimes when you're a coach. Even if you win the game, you lose the game, somebody's always questioning you. 
you're never maybe 100% right in financial advising, and you go through some very difficult times with your clients when markets are up, down, sideways. You know, when markets are rising, everybody, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of complaints, but they're like, oh, this rose faster. This did better. And then when markets are declining, wherever you are, nobody likes to see a balance sheet decline. So I think that helped me gain the mettle and fortitude to deal with this business. I will put in the last one, it was my, one of my very close family members said after maybe about 10 years, hey, we really think you've learned so much and we've decided now that we're going to put our eggs in your basket and we're going to trust you to manage our financial situation because you've learned so much. And sometimes you say the right thing. I came right out and said, you know what's interesting you say that? I think the most valuable things that I learned before the age of 10 from my mother and my father. And those things still hold true to my principles and how I try to run my business and and guide my clients. Yeah, that's, that's great. Now, tell me about that specific scenario. Is there, do you feel more pressure managing money for family? Like, do you feel, obviously you're concerned about all your clients, but these are people maybe you're going to see on the weekends, you're going to see them on the holidays, you're going to see them, you know, all the time. Is there more pressure in working with family? And is that something that you would recommend other people do? I think for myself, I'm an incredibly caring person. Um, I think everybody that goes into becoming a teacher is is obviously there because they love people, they love children, they care about education. Managing money for family and friends, um, I guess one of the decisions I made is I was not going to be a stock picker. Um, that That's really hanging yourself out there. Um, and so I decided not to do that. I'd say I'm more of a generalist and a planner and allocator and diversifier. And so I I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off me. But um, I think it was probably a year to two in the the business. The information and what you're learning comes pouring into you. And and ultimately, the people you want to help the most and the people that you care about the most are usually your friends and your family. And so I initially maybe didn't gravitate to those people uh, right, right, right immediately. But I certainly wanted to work with them, and I found it was just a matter of, of, of time. If I give them the time and they understand the education behind it, we're kind of all sitting at the same side of the dinner table making those decisions. So I'd say that most of my clients are friends and family, and the people that they introduced me to, I mean, my father says that everybody's a friend of my mother's. The other people that aren't, she just hasn't met yet. And so I feel that way too. Many of my clients that I, I met and had no relationship whatsoever, they just came as a referral. Now they're some of my very close friends. So I care about the people I work with. I try to do the best that I can for all of them. You can't do everything for everybody. So the last point I'd make is it's very important to know what you do and what you do well. And it's very important to know what you don't do and don't do well and connect the people that are going to help them in those situations. So I think that's important also. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So you're using your strengths. Um, Mark, talk a little bit about the being a teacher. So when I, I read, it's got to be 10, 15 years ago, uh, The Millionaire Next Door by a guy named Tom Stanley. Who I did too. Uh, yeah, he's now, he's now deceased. But one of the things, one of the professions he said is, 
uh, is a path toward uh, becoming a millionaire is a teacher. And the reasons he gave for that, I think you highlighted two of them. And the, the first one is the need to know about a budget and how to prepare a budget and how to live within a budget. And the second is the hustle that comes, right? You mentioned uh, having a painting contracting business. You mentioned running a soccer camp, right? Because teachers, they, teachers do it because it's a calling, it's a vocation, and they generally supplement their income in other ways. So it's a, it's a lifetime of hustle. Right. Every every successful teacher I know, every good teacher I know does two or three other things. They tutor. They run uh, an after school program. They run a program over the summer. Some of them, like you, have uh, have businesses that thrive in the summer, either landscaping or sprinkler repair businesses or sprinkler installation businesses, that sort of thing. So tell everyone about the you know, you did you became a teacher because you loved it. And that led you to have to do other things. Tell you how, tell everyone how you took that hustle into the business that you have now, because I see it just from you saying you moved to New York to start this business. So you know that's you were like, well, where am I going to find people with money? Let's go to New York. I mean, that's to me, that's awesome. So tell tell people about how that you know, being part of that culture where you you were constantly looking for another way, another another opportunity. How has that helped you in your uh, in your professional practice now? Well, I'd start with a few different things on that front. One is that it, it, good teachers, and if you take coaches that are you know whether they're elementary, middle school, or high school, um, good teachers that teach and coach. I mean, they are working around the clock. They are always on, and their students. There's always more to do. There's always more help to be done. I mean, you're you're getting up at six in the morning. You're I was teaching class by seven twenty a.m. Bell would ring, and so then I'd go at the end of school and I'd either be tutoring kids, makeup tests, have kids in the classroom after school for help. I, I algebra one. I'm a math major in college. Algebra one was the hardest math class I ever took. I had such a tremendous difficulty moving to concrete multiplying double digits in your head to, oh, this thing called X changes. And I'd substitute numbers in to find out what worked, and then it'd come out a decimal or fraction that I couldn't handle it. So that was difficult. So teachers work incredibly hard. And boy, that is 30 to 50% of the sauce in everything, right, is working your tail off. But teachers also, I think, they're incredibly committed they learn an amazing skill set because they're dealing with, I was dealing with over 250 people, whether they're athletes or students every day, other teachers, you know, administrators, different kinds of people, parents. And so you, you have to learn to work with all those people. Um, and so you learn an incredible skill set. When you talk about the side hustle and doing all those different things, it's kind of a necessity sometimes for a teacher to do those things. Um, but but ultimately, you know, doing those things, I was, I think, prepared to work incredibly hard. I was capable that I could educate people. And ultimately, when somebody interviewed me, when I was interviewing to become a financial advisor, somebody said, well, what makes you think, and I don't love the word sales, but I, I like to call myself an advisor or consultant, but said, what makes you think you can sell something? And I said, well, have you ever sat in a classroom of 32 students trying to convince them to learn Algebra one?" If you can do that, I mean, believe me, you can get somewhere. So I think that's valuable. So I think teachers, it launched me, 
and allowed me to work incredibly hard. The last point I'll make as a teacher is the educational process. One of the things we call, and I do this towards many things in my life now, is, is what's called backwards design. Here is where I'm trying to get, and I do this whether it's my son's soccer team, whether it's my family and our finances or travel or whatever in my business, is here's where we're trying to get. What are the steps we need to take and the avenues we can take to get there? And so if we start with a goal or objective in mind and we work backwards, well, now we can build the processes and the steps, whether it's financial planning or anything, to get there. Teachers understand that. Teachers will follow methods and instruction to take those steps. And so I think I was, I was very successful. I was the model person. They said, do this, do this, do this, do this, and this is going to happen. And I followed all those guidelines, and, and, and exactly what they said would happen did. And so I, I think teachers are, are great in that aspect. Hopefully that's a good answer and helpful. No, that's great. That's very, very helpful. So talk now about today and what take us through how your day unfolds because now you have a team, right? Do yes. you do you still carry your own clients and work with your own clients and you manage and, and train your own staff? So take us through what you do throughout the course of your day. So if there's going to be conversations about, you know, investment allocation, uh, whether it's estate planning or retirement planning or insurance planning, a lot of those conversations are going to ha happen with me. And so I do have somebody that else, that my staff that runs my calendar, somebody else that kind of takes care of marketing and service, another person that prepares all the strategy. And so doing those things, you know, takes a team. The other thing that's great is whether you're looking for attorneys, accountants, other people in other fields, investment advisors. I mean, right after this call, I'm having a meeting with, uh, you know, an external advisor with, with an investment firm. And so there's all these different teams of people that help you. Putting those things together, I think one of the things that was very important was I wanted to get the infrastructure of my office and team together. And I was a beneficiary for an advisor basically about seven or eight years ago, kind of passed a lot of business down to me. Because he felt to me that I was capable. I had the investment business and the wealth management plus the insurance side and planning how it all pulled together. He kind of helped me, you know, introduced me to a lot of his clients to work with. But the only reason why that would have been successful and happened was I had the infrastructure built and I had the av avenues and all the other people that could help and support me. So that's tremendous. A day yeah, in my life phenomenal. is some of it is glorified delegation. Things come in, emails come in, people ask you for this, and I say, could you get that? Could you do this? Could you please do that? But certainly there's a lot of, in today's world, Zoom calls and meetings in person and other things, you know, trying to get things in order in place, and then everybody has a, a path. And I say, if, you know, when I deliver a financial plan, it's a living, breathing document. Things change every six months or a year. We review those things and make sure we're still going around, down the right path to accomplish the objectives we set forth either last month, last year, or 10 years ago. Yeah, and I want to I ask you about that. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a minute to think about this. I want you to, to explain to folks one of the things that I hammer home to my clients constantly is that frequency of communication builds trust, right? And people trust you a lot, Mark, because they're, I mean, they're giving you their money. The only, thing, the only other thing I can think of that they would turn over to you that would be more valuable would be their kids, right? Or their, or their health. So people, people are giving you their money, so they trust you a lot. 
I want you to take a minute and explain to people the value of communication for you. And you just said you, you know, things change all the time. And I want you to share how you communicate with your clients and the frequency with which you communicate with your clients. And I want you to do that in just one minute because I need to remind folks that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski has helped people with tax planning, with uh, dispute advisory, business valuations, litigation support, and forensic accounting. And today I wanna talk to you about what Sandrowski does with business valuations. Now, you own a business, let's say, and you want to join your business with somebody else's business. You wanna merge. Maybe you're a, uh, a business that is looking to join a firm in a complementary practice area or in a complementary industry. You need to determine how you're gonna allocate the shares to each of the new owners, because you're gonna be partners. What you need to do is you need to get a business valuation, and typically both sides get their own people to value the business, and they negotiate. Well, if you need somebody to value your business, there's no firm better than Sandrowski because they've been doing it for over 35 years and because they can explain the valuations to everyone in language that's very easy to understand. Where this comes in handy is if there's a dispute. Let's say you're going to court, you're breaking up with your partner and you're, you have a dispute over the value of the business. Sandrowski can explain the numbers, what's behind the numbers in a way that's so easy, even a judge can understand it. That's that's right. Judges know the law. They don't know math. So you got to have somebody on your side who can explain these valuations, not only to you, but perhaps to the court, maybe even to a jury. So if you need help with any of this stuff, or if you just want to save money on your taxes, give Sandrowski a call. You can reach out to them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. You want to build your professional practice. I've got a way for you to do it. You need a plan. I've got got a business development plan I've used for over 35 years. I use it every single day with my clients. I customize it for them. You can customize it for yourself. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. Download your free business development guide today. It's my gift to you for listening and watching the show. Our guest today is Mark Leonard. He's the founder of Leonard Financial. You can reach Mark at 212-261-0223, 212-261-0223. All right, Mark, we were talking about communication before we took that little break there. You were mentioning how things are constantly changing, right? That's why that's why there's TV channels and radio stations dedicated to business and investing. There's, you know, dozens of periodicals and hundreds of magazines. So you have to keep up with all that information and then you have to distill it down and share it with your clients. Tell the folks who are listening, the folks who are watching, what the value of communication is to you and tell them how frequently you communicate with your clients. So obviously communication is incredibly valuable. Um, I, I felt that my entire life, the words you choose matter. The way you t- say things matters. And so communication is incredibly important. I think something I think for anybody in any business, regardless of the business they're running in, I did something, I think probably less than six months in the business. I took a piece of paper, divided it down the middle, and I wrote on the right side words that I'd like to use, and I wrote on the left side words that I'd not like to use. And, and, and that's really important because there are some words, you know, I hear some advisors and I hear people saying words like, cheap. Words like buy. I don't love those words. 
I think there's words, you know, for example, you know, so on the uh, on columns, the things that you do want to say, there are things that, you know, we together accomplish, purchase, different things like that. I think they're going to be very helpful to use in any business, and I think they're valuable. Communicating with clients, if I do a financial plan for a client, I always include with them, what is the time of the year that you and I can have a date, Right. When are we going to do that? Sometimes people like to do it at the beginning of the year. They're very motivated. They're setting their, you know, trying what they're trying to achieve and accomplish during the year. Other people, for me, it's right after tax time or right before tax time. Many clients in the summertime, either they're off the month of August or they're taking on vacation. They want to do things then if they've got time. Or some of them are like, I don't want to be talked to at all in the month of August. Never call me. And let's do it in September when I come back and the kids are back in school so I always like to try to set a time, and some of my clients, it's more often. They want to do it two or three times a year. So we kind of set a schedule, and my assistant reaches out to them and kind of sets those times, and we kind of review things there. You know, communication, as I talked about with the, the things to say, I think it's, it is unbelievable to communicate, communicate well, and, and set objectives and goals and, and remind people of that whenever you talk to them, what we're trying to accomplish. And I did write down in notes today, just to say to you, one of the things I, I, I wrote down, different things, but you mentioned being a teacher and this other thing popped up in my head is whatever business you're in, whatever you're doing as a coach or a teacher, many people are going to be critical of you all the time. And so in the end, if you filter all those things, you ultimately do have to decide inside of you, where do I stand? Where do I put my flag in the ground? What do I believe? And, and move forward with those things. It is 100% okay to be wrong. I will definitely be wrong sometimes. But it's not 100% okay to, to, to not be diligent, to not have humility, to not be unhelpful, and not be unkind. You have to be those things. You have to be kind. You have to be humble. You have to be diligent. You have to be hardworking. You have to try to do the best thing for your clients all the time. And so I, I think that's pretty important. So I always say, like for myself, I love your advertisement. One of the things I say to my clients as a former math teacher, I like to try to take the mystery out of the numbers. And so you, in, in financial planning, I say, is kind of bringing the, the future into the present so you can do something about it now. It's not my quote, someone else's. But I think that's great. So to help those people and communicate with them, you know, I, we preach do the right thing, do it right and then do it right now. Yeah, and so that's communication terrific. is totally important. I, I think I like I like your philosophy and I like the idea of look, if you do the right thing and you are 100% committed to doing the right thing all the time, let everybody second guess you because if you make a mistake, it's coming from a place of what's in the best interest of the person that I'm working with. You're not, you know, it's the people who should be worried about people looking over their shoulder, quite frankly, are the people whose intentions are bad. If your right. intentions are good and you've prepared to the best of your ability and you're doing what's in the best interests of your client, I mean, I don't know what more anyone can ever ask of you. Right. That, that's all they, all they can ask. And so it is tough sometimes. And, and, and obviously, advisors and, and anyone, life is tough sometimes. Your occupation is tough. We took this, I took this business on. Certainly, um, you know, I'm trying to do as best as I can, but I'm not right 100% of the time. If I was, certainly I wouldn't have to, you know, I'd be helping everyone. Yeah. You know, I, I love, um, I love the, you can see the, um, the, 
coach in you come out just as we're talking now. I interviewed a gentleman the other day who, uh, in in his spare time, he's a referee for youth hockey games uh, in, a, in a youth hockey league. And similar experience, you know, I've, I've coached my kids in baseball. And one of the things that I always had to keep in, in the front of my mind was no matter what happens on the field, right, with the officials, with the kids, with the decisions either the officials make or the kids make or the other coach makes, Everyone's always looking to me, and they're looking to me at how I react. They look at they're looking at me and, and determining a, they're they're making a judgment on me based on how I react. So if a coach uh, goes after an official who makes a bad call in a way that is unprofessional, what is he doing? He's setting a bad example for his kids. He's also explaining to the parents, hey, this is acceptable behavior to demonstrate in front of our kids. And he's demonstrating to the parents that he can't remain composed in a stressful situation. And he could be a police officer. He could be a financial advisor, right? Correct. Talk about your, um, your you used the term when you talked about a teacher always being on, right? Well, when you're a coach, it's the same thing. You know, and this other gentleman I was talking to as an official you're always on, right? So people know you as Mark, the financial advisor, or they know you as Mark, the coach, or more likely they know you as both, but they don't separate the two. So you can't be going after an official losing your cool on the field because what are you going to do when, you know, the stuff hits the fan with my money? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, you need to be, I think that you talked about going through situations and doing things in life, you know, you need to, you are always on, you are who you are, and everything you do sets an example for everyone. So as an advisor, you know, we have to sometimes be the adult in the room when everybody's jumping up and down or nervous or anxious. And we have to, you know, be uh, measured and, and talk to people about long term. Um, but that happens, I feel like your, your example with the referee or the coach and everybody's looking at you. There is such a waterfall or cascading effect to any leader in any position and how they act and behave. They do have to have composure. They do have to handle themselves in stressful situations. Um, thankful for me, I think I have the ability to can try to control those emotions and take actions. I say to people, if things get crazy and nuts, you want to do what I'm going to do, but it would be great if you did a little bit of, a little bit faster. <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> tend to be a little slower to take that action. So, you know, uh, and I think composure that was taught to me oftentimes. My father says, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure in the sports games. My father would say, well, pressure makes diamonds. And so you got to keep that composure and you have to make your decisions. Thankfully, I think when those times get crazy and everything's out of whack, everything for me, thankfully, slows down. And I feel like I'm making those decisions. I work, um, I guess, a couple different thoughts here. I, I work with many, many uh, federal employees and, and a great deal of secret service agents. And I think there's certainly, I'd say to them, I said to uh, one of them that's retired now and has gone on to bigger and better things. She is an amazing person. I just spoke with her yesterday, but, um, you know, I said to her, I am incredibly well protected if anything ever goes wrong, but boy, I better be on my game and have my composure because, Hey, there's a lot of people out there in law enforcement and secret service that, 
you know, I need to, you know, make sure I'm doing the right thing always. But uh, I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, uh, let's let's talk a little about you mentioned uh, before uh, before we started the show, you mentioned a story about <laughs> Dobermans in a car on a lift. What is that? Tell us that story. I need to hear. I got to hear this story. What is that story? So, Mark? so you talk about the way things were uh, coming up. So I came up to New York City in July of 2001. It was a tough time to move into Brooklyn in New York City, where basically a couple months I was happened to be on the W train on the Manhattan Bridge when September 11th happened. Wow, yeah. I was getting all my licensing in order. I was taking classes to do different things, and and I was on the train sitting in the middle of the, on the middle of the bridge when the first plane hit, and in those situations, but. When I came to New York in 2001, and some of the younger generations won't even understand this, but I was a cell phone holdout. People used to say, Mark, you know, we try to call you on your cell phone. You're not available. And I'm like, well, if I'm teaching and coaching, I don't want to be reached. Leave it on my voice message at home. And they say, well, then we can't get a hold of you. And I go, exactly. So when I came to New York, I got my first cell phone, and I wanted to have all my contacts in it and everything. My friend used to call it my garage door opener. They were much bigger back in the day. And, uh, and I used to use quarters sometimes in the bottom of the subway. We didn't have the repeaters. So I'm going up to see this person in the Bronx that owns a, a, an, an auto repair shop and also recycles tires and things. And so I call from the, you know, the subway line in the middle of summertime. And by the way, New York City, when you go to the subway, you think it's going to be cooler underground? Absolutely incorrect. So you go down in the subway, it's like 110 outside and completely humid. You go down the subway, it's worse. Then you get on a train, go all the way up in the Bronx. By the time you leave Manhattan, everybody's off the train, and it's like 65 degrees in the subway. And then I walk into this guy that said he was going to talk to me about finances and this, and I used to have insurance. And I go in, there's this office that literally has papers stacked, probably 50 years, dust everywhere. Really nice gentleman. Fantastic. He said I, he comes out. He's has grease all over him, right? Oil and grease. I was like, well, we could go down to the diner down the street, but he's like, I can't go to the diner. Look at my hands. Look at everything like this. So he says, why don't you come on inside? He's like, come, come on, follow me here or something. I'll let so and so take. You. There's a couple Doberman pinches the dogs. We go into the shop. He gets me into Chevy Suburban, takes me up on the lift, and we're sitting in two capstan's chairs talking about everything financial for him. I mean, it was an unbelievable appointment. He wanted to do some business. We did do some business. What's funny is he introduced me some down, someone down the street that wanted to do some business. That was my first example was like, I would like to do this. Okay, uh, it'll take me a few days to get it together, but I'm going to get $50,000 together. He goes, give me a few weeks, though. I'll pull it together. I said, well, we can just take your checking account. I don't have a checking account. I don't have a savings account. I was going to get you cash. Is that okay? <laughs> so you never know what you're going to go into. New York City is amazing. Unbelievable place. Stories about everything. But that, that, those are some funny experiences. Having, having grown up actually uh, where, where I think you live now, I, uh, I, I grew up in Westchester. And uh, I moved into Manhattan. I lived in Manhattan for 15 years. I, I also worked in Manhattan on uh, 9-11. 
I, Mark, I cannot imagine the courage it takes to come from somewhere else and start a business in New York. Good for you. You can do anything. I, I, am, I am convinced. Anyone who isn't investing with you now, anyone who doesn't have their money with you, this guy can do anything. If he can start a business from scratch, ride the subway in New York, find clients, he, he has earned your money, folks. That's for sure. What a great story. That's amazing. Well, thank you for the confidence and recommendation there. We do our best. We try. Um, but you know what? I, I certainly can't do it myself. Everybody in this office that I work in, all of my staff and support and the people that support my business, they're fantastic professionals. And they really, they, co they come through when, it, when it's time and when I'm in, when I'm in a time of need and, and when my clients are. So I got I to gotta ask you a couple of quick questions because that, that story just opened up a couple of doors for us. One is, what is it? What was it like for you to go into a new city, right? And you basically just calling people and going, "Hey, my name is Mark. I want to come over and talk to you about your future. You know, maybe we don't. Maybe we work together. Maybe we don't. But I want to. You know, I want to give you some information and and see see what you got going on. Is that how, how does how does your pitch go when you're in a place? I mean, now you're established, right? And people send you referrals. Everybody knows you. But before you could do that, what was your pitch like? How would you go out to, I know you probably hate the word pitch, but how would you go and get in front of people and get them to give you the time to talk to you? So I came into the office and I started calling people, obviously. Um, I came up through the New York Life, um, uh, you know, basically New York Life comp Insurance Company. What was great about them is I felt they offered me all the wealth management and the advisor tools, but they also kind of had a philosophy manage risk, take care of risk, make sure insurance is part of the piece of the pie, and, and put those things together. And so that really worked well. So I, I called a lot of different people. I mean, it was funny. Somebody gave me this list right off the beginning, a, a manager, Ed Colello, and, and he gives it to me. It's 2001. And I'm like, Ed, this list is from 1999 or 1998. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, isn't it great? Nobody's calling them anymore. It's a baby list. Nobody's calling them anymore. But I found out very quickly that doing things on the phone, you can call a lot of people in a day and try to, you know, get some yeses or nos or maybe laters and, and go through that scenario. Um, when I went through an entire list and the last name I called Zarakova decided to have an appointment with me and then they wanted to set up a 529 plan and I necessarily wasn't through the process of getting licensed for that yet, I decided that I need to get my education in everything, and my store needs to be open for everything. But I was much better on my feet and walking through the neighborhoods. So I lived on Pacific Street and 3rd Avenue, uh, where I first moved in Brooklyn, Borham Hills neighborhood. And I used to walk down Court Street and Smith Street and Montague Street. And it was great. There was a guy in a laundromat after I came like by, you know, the fourth or fifth time, and he kept on telling me, oh, yeah, yeah, come, you know, come a few weeks later, come a few weeks later. And, and he's like, he's like, so this must, so when did you take over this territory? And I was like, well, I didn't, but I like the way you think. I put myself in front of the same people over and over. And then I did have a lot of friends and family that I worked with and people I grew up with. But, you know, they placed trust in me. I would say that those friends and family, they're the people that helped me survive in this business. And I did help them and I still am helping many of them. But yeah, that pitch is tough. I talk to people like financial plans today. I just, this came out in, in just one of my appointments out of the blue, out of nowhere. She said the, the client I was with, I'm always writing on the whiteboard. I had to erase all the whiteboard material behind me. So 
people aren't seeing all the things we're working on. But, um, you know, I said to her, she said, well, how do you know about this or whatever? You know, I want to do this and we could probably have more there. And I said, well, at Leonard Financial Group, we try to build, we build you plans of preparedness, not plans of hope. And so when you put stress tests on things and when you put what ifs on things, you want to make sure people meet their objectives regardless of the regulatory environment, regardless if the market corrects, regardless if interest rates go up or down. So I think all those things matter. And I'd say I feel as a math major and as a teacher, I have the tools to, and I do take the time up front with many, many people that it builds faith and trust. And sometimes I work 10 minutes and make a lot of monies. And sometimes I work hours and hours and hours and make zero dollars. But ultimately, in the end, we're all in it together. I think there's enough business out there for all of us. There's enough great advisors out there. We're all colleagues and team members as well. So yeah, I, I think, think that's probably what I do. I'm much, much better on my feet in restaurants and walking and in personal introductions. That's how it all happens for me for the most part now is personal introductions from clients of mine. Yeah, that's tremendous. I I love your uh, I love your philosophy that there's more that because there, there's more than enough business out there for all of us. More than enough. Anytime you find yourself and I I do this myself. I do this with my clients all the time. Anytime you find yourself envious of somebody else, or you're you're thinking to yourself, oh man, you know I that guy that guy got that client. I didn't get him. There's like 30 other clients that you could be going after right now and be productive rather than having that unproductive thought of, you know, that guy got that client and I didn't get him because he's not the only client. In fact, there's, like I said, 30 others where that came from. So totally more than you never know when you never know where it's going to come from. I mean, I had a lady who worked in a um, in a basically a gas station in a fulfillment center and, and a third other job I'm blanking on right now. She hit the lottery for $3 million, right? Just doing every day at the end of work, she'd do scratch-offs, whatever. She hit. You never know where it's going to come from, and it's, it's great to help. You know, it, it, What's hard is to build the infrastructure to help everybody. Yeah. That's a difficult thing. Yeah. All right, Mark, I want you to take a minute now and think about three things you want folks to take away from our time together. I'll give you a minute to think about that as I remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Sandrowski are the folks that can help you save money in your taxes. So if you're a business owner and you want to save some money on your taxes, there are a number of things you should be doing. One of them is thinking about the succession plan for your business. Now, I know you're young, you're healthy, you're not really concerned about what's going to happen with your business 15, 20 years from now, but you should be. And here's the reason why. There is a provision in the IRS code called the Qualified Small Business Stock Exemption and if your company is set up the right way, if you have a privately held company and it's set up the right way, you can take advantage of that qualified small business stock exemption. Why is that important to you? Because when you sell your business, you can exclude an enormous amount of the proceeds of that sale from capital gains tax. Um, so Harry Sandrowski, who's a managing partner of Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, was just telling me a couple of weeks ago when I sat down with him that... He helped a gentleman who sold his business for $49 million. He helped that gentleman save $10 million in capital gains tax. That's real money, folks. So what do you need to do? You need to invite Sandrowski in to look at how your business is organized, to let them look at your financials, and they'll make some recommendations. You don't have to pay anything until Sandrowski does the work. So 
there's no risk for you. Give them a call today. Have them look at your business so that you can be prepared down the road for when you're willing to set, when you're willing and able to sell your business. The number to call today is 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Call my friends at Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. They're a CPA firm with a different perspective. Also, don't forget, I've got an offer for you. You can get your free revenue roadmap guide. You can get the guide that I use with my clients to help them build their business. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com. That's revenueroadmapguide.com. Easy for me to say. Go there, download it today, and you can use that guide to help you develop relationships and build your business. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. It's my gift to you for watching and listening to the show. Our guest today is Mark Leonard from Leonard Financial Group. You can call Mark at 212-261-0223, 212-261-0223. His email address is down in the show notes if you want to send him a quick email. I'm sure he'll get back to you very quickly and be of great help to you. All right, Mark, so what are the three things we should take away from our time together? I think uh, a few of the different things. One, I had a tremendous, actually, former teacher and coach and manager. His name was Mark Pfaff, had a great impact on me. Um, and his thought is, was like, Mark, you know, you're here now, you're in New York City, you're starting this business by yourself. And I always talk about when you're starting a small business, especially in the financial world, it's like building bricks, you know, laying the bricks down. But he made a comment to me, he said, make sure you build your business as if you're going to be in business for a very long time. And so there's different sometimes ways that we can take our revenue and our income and so I chose on a, a, a large 401k rollover the entire plan to choose something that paid me almost nothing up front that would pay me a lot more over the next 10, 15 years. And, and ultimately, I was in his office and he was like, Mark, I noticed you know, we were trying to get this and that and the other. It's like, but there was nothing that came in from you from this plan or whatever. And I said, well, you told me to make decisions, build my business as if I'm going to be in business for a very long time. He's like, oh, did I say that? But I think that's important. And so you want to build your business as if you're going to be in business. So put the thought in early. And I think also if you're going to be in business or if you're going to be in sports or any sort of something that has competition, you know, you are going to be at the top of the mountain at times and things are going to be amazing. But you are also going to be in the bottom of the valley. Things are rough sometimes too in any business. And there are things you can't control. And so I say, yes, I'm going to be at the top of the mountain. Yes, you're going to be in the valley. And if you stay in business and you're in business long again, you're going to be in both places again. Always remember that. But you've got to have a good time. you got to keep things light. Also be along the way. Um, I'll throw in one story here. When I first started, you know, I was talking with everybody. I'd set up a table or, or meet at a sporting event and meet and talk with everybody. I went into Crown Heights in Brooklyn, and I have this client who um, was from Grenada in the Caribbean. And she basically brought me over. She said she wanted to set up a, an education savings plan for her daughter. She wanted to get some insurance in place. So I walked in the townhouse and everybody in there was her brother and sister. And there was a whole family there. Many, many, many people. Kitchen was tiny. I'm sitting in the kitchen. And she basically says, oh, okay, thank you, Mark. You know, Can you come on in? Can you talk about this, et cetera? And her mother was there. And we talked about things. Um, she brought out a really dark, it looked like a dark black chocolate cake. I'm not a big, huge chocolate fan. And I'm like, well, I have to eat this. I have to be, you know, it can't be rude. I took one bite of it. It tasted amazing. 
It was all these different kinds of fruits mixed together. I think it was Caribbean fruit cake, I think they called it. It was unbelievable. She brought me a second piece, brought me a third piece. <laughs> and then I found out that it was completely doused with rum, and I could barely walk out the door. <laughs> so, I mean, it's got to be fun. You've got to enjoy it. You know, by the way, that client, the first person in the entire family just graduated from Drexel University. I'm incredibly proud of that moment, that family, and that daughter. So those are a couple different things. Um, I got to throw this in here. My brother Keith was just inducted to the Virginia and Washington, D.C. Soccer Hall of Fame. Oh, congratulations. As a goalkeeper. Wow, that's great. So we, we went to that induction a couple months ago. That was amazing. But when he was interviewed when he was playing professional soccer in Washington, D.C., when he was playing for the Diplomats, he was on a sports talk radio show with Ken Beatrice on WMAL, and he brought up my father, who actually now were in the basketball playoffs for the NBA. My father in a college basketball game scored 63 points. This was before the two-point-three-point shot and was 27 for 27 from the free throw line. Wow. So that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. But he had his times in athletics. Maybe I'm getting my time on the insider, right? <laughs> that's it. So I guess those are the things. I guess the last thing I'll point out is every single financial product that's out there is probably created with good intentions for a specific reason to help people accomplish something. There's a lot of people out there that say this product isn't good, that product isn't good, this product has this, this product has that. You know, they're usually out there, people are usually doing things with the, with great intention, and there are so many great advisors out there. It's just a matter of putting things in the right place at the right time for the right people. And so you need to tailor your plans and your investments for that person. I always say 50% of it's your facts. The other 50% of it's you got to get to know that person. You got to get to know that business or that business owner. And then you can put the right pieces in place and help them make that decision with their eyes wide open. I am still 100% a teacher and still 100% a coach. Thank goodness my students or my clients are now are a little bit more motivated. And so I love it. So thank you for having me in your time. I appreciate it, and, and it's been great to be here. Uh, Mark, thank you. You were a great guest. It was great having you on. You told us some really fun stories, and you gave us a lot of great wisdom. So we appreciate you being here. Folks, if you need help with your finances, you need to call Mark Leonard. You can reach him at 212-261-0223, 212-261-0223. You can go to a million different people for advice on how you can prepare for your future. I doubt you're going to find a guy who cares more. You just, whoa, where'd he go? <laughs> I doubt <laughs> I doubt you're going to find a guy that cares more about you and your financial future than Mark. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on today. Thank you. Have a great upcoming weekend and all, all the success. Onward and upward. <laughs> all right, Mark. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, folks. I'm Dave Lorenzo. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another edition of the Inside BS Show. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.